Today, we are talking with Iyad Yayawi. A little gratitude will make your garden grow. A little gratitude is good for your soul. Well, James, I am super excited about today's episode because we are chatting with an author of Crimson Arrows, a bow hunting odyssey. This is our first author that we've had on a pot on a, on our podcast, and I, I just thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, it was awesome. I thought there was a lot of really good nuggets in there. You know, I've always wanted to write a book a little bit. I think it's one of my like secret desires is to write a book, and so. Um, anyone who's thinking about writing a book, I think this is really valuable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, and we talk about it in the podcast, but everybody's got a story to tell and anybody, you know, that's basically what we do with video, you know, mm-hmm. is we try to tell as many stories as possible. So we think that you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Ed and without further ado, here's <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited because we have never had an author on our podcast before, and I feel like you're taking our legitimacy up a few notches today. So so thanks, Yed, for being here. Oh, of course. Of course. I don't know about that, but I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> thanks for having me. So um, I'm curious. There's like a million places I think I could start this conversation. You wrote a book called Crimson Arrows, mm-hmm. A Bow Hunter's Odyssey. Mm-hmm. How, where was the, and I know that this is all based on a lot of your hunting stories, a lot of lessons that you learned. Walk me through at what point did you think like, I should, I should turn this into something that people would enjoy. That's a great question. I, I really never thought I would write a book, especially in that regard until, uh, we had our, our second child, you know, back in 2015 at the time, I'd, I'd been fortunate to travel and, and write some stories and start some freelance work. And and I remember telling my wife, I said, you know, if something would happen to me or, you know, I wasn't able to tell these stories to my children as they got older one day, I wondered what they would think of, you know, the motivations behind my adventures and some of the pictures they saw and things they did. And I said, well, there's so many lessons that the outdoors have has afforded me and things they've taught me mm-hmm. that even if they never hunted or never were in the outdoors, that they could would serve them well. And I was like, how can I incorporate a lot of those lessons into stories? Someone told me once, you'll never change someone's opinion with facts. You'll change it with a story. And I never forgot that. And um, as time went on, I wrote one story, then another. And before you knew it, I had this, you know, all these stories put together. And I thought, boy, this would be really nice for my kids to read one day. And, and even if they didn't hunt, read between the lines, they would see the lessons, whether it's passion or hard work or perseverance or setbacks and yeah. letting them know setbacks are normal. So I think 2015, it kind of started working in that direction, but I, I never thought it would get to the point where it got, um, especially looking back now. So Yeah. Well, that's so awesome. And I'm so glad that our, our paths crossed. You know, it's one of those things where uh, our mutual friend, Ben Statler, connected yep. us. Yeah, great um, guy. Yeah, he had done video work for you before and and then uh, transitioned into a, a church role at mm-hmm. Life Church, which is, he's just doing great things, which is so fun. And... Uh, Doing this video with you was such a journey because <clears throat> I'm not from the bow hunter world. And actually, my wife told me that I need to be careful today because <laughs> I'm not allowed to buy a bow. <laughs> I didn't bring you with me today. Tell her you're safe. You're safe. Okay. You're lucky, though. Okay. 
So I'm just I'm I'm curious because like the thing that I'm I'm picking up on is you really wrote the book for your children mm-hmm. and all of the success and all of the things that are that's all kind of a bonus. Absolutely. Correct? Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm I'm walk me through like the actual like publication process. What was that like? Was there any um was there any thing that you had to deal with in terms of like imposter syndrome? I know that mm-hmm. I I, f- I feel mm-hmm. that often. I'm just curious mm-hmm. if you could walk me through the publication journey. No, it's a great question. And I think there's there's always that self-doubt with anything you do. And I think if, if you don't have some of that there, you're probably not working hard enough or not as good as you could be. I think if you rest on your laurels or think, oh, you know, this is going to be great or I don't have to put forth the effort, it's probably going to fall short of what it could be. So I think that imposter syndrome sometimes serves you well because it makes you work harder and, and never taking anything for granted. I really remember vividly the first email I got from the publisher, and I was so – I remember now, as we're talking about this, I haven't thought about this for a while, but how nervous I was to send that book in. Because I think sometimes in the society we live in, I don't know how hunting is portrayed. and Sometimes it's not portrayed well online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was nervous who would read the book and what opinions would they have on it and how would they how would they take it. And so when I got some feedback from the publisher and the and the editors, I was really surprised how much they enjoyed it. And they were able to it sounded like they were able to see the things I was hoping they would see in the lessons. And and so that was the first positive step. And then they you know, I can't remember who said it, but it's so true. They say books aren't written, they're rewritten. And you're you know, you're never done on the first draft. It's like you're never done. You know, and I think, you know, I, I kept going back and editing, you reread it, you reread it, you re-edit it. And that was the biggest process, I think, for writing was the edits they wanted to make and then, you know, making those, you know, chop cuts, going back and making sure you're still getting the lessons through it. So that was probably the most challenging thing was the editing process and condensing it into something you thought everyone would enjoy. Yeah. So walk me through, because you um, actually had an opportunity to make an updated version Yes. Book. Do you, would you mind sharing that story? Because I just felt like there was such a great lesson in that when we were talking. Yeah. And I'm not sure the, the complete details. And this will be, you know, one of the first times I've ever shared this publicly. Um, when I first wrote the book through the publisher, and we'll get into details about who the publisher was at the time, but when unfortunately COVID happened and everything kind of shut down, um, and I, I'm, I'm working healthcare. That's my real job. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we were shut down in the office and, and, uh, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to look into the marketing more of this book and see the book had been doing well. Um, but unfortunately no royalty checks were coming in. And so I thought, gosh, this is weird. Like, you know, there had been a year and, uh, long story short, phone call after phone call happened, no return calls. And so I started doing some research online and, Unfortunately, it looked like this company had gone under, and when it went under, it took all the authors with them. So we had signed contracts with this publisher, and you sometimes hear about recording things with music and how they don't own the rights and things of that nature. And I couldn't, I mean, I was so naive in thinking, well, this is my book, and when I want to move on to someone else, I could. Well, after I called Amazon and said, hey, this company has gone under, um, we haven't got any profits. We don't know where the material is. I mean, locks on the door um, went bankrupt. Um, and the royalties were unfortunate, but it wasn't the prime motivation of the book, right? You just right. wanted your material, your your 
your stories, you know, as they say. And that became a really, really, really stressful battle where Amazon would say, look, this isn't your book. It's signed under this publisher. And I said, well, I'm the author. These are my stories. What are you talking about? I'm sorry, we can't give you your book back. You have to talk to them. Well, as you can imagine, the runaround with that, where you can't get a hold of anybody. Yeah. And so finally, about a year after this whole debacle went down, I talked to this nice young lady at Amazon, and I still, I'll never forget her. I was always polite and always kind. I think that's sometimes the best way. You know, you should always be that way. And I said, listen, I know it's not your fault, but I said, these, this was like my life's work. Like I put, these are for my kids. These are my stories I want my kids to hear. I just want my work back. I'm not, you know, and, and she says, she listened and she says, you know what? She says, I'm going to give you your work back. And she sent me a contract and I signed it, which gave me the rights to my book back. And once I got that back, I was able to republish it into a book that I now controlled. And I became the publisher. I created my own company, Crimson Arrows Media. Um, and there were stories that I remember when the first edition came out, I was like, gosh, I wish I'd put these stories in there. I wish I'd waited a little longer because these are some of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. Hunter's Moon and um, Seasons of Gold and some of these other ones that I wrote. And now I had the opportunity to do so. And so I learned a valuable lesson in that the business world can be tough. Yeah. And, but that was the genesis of why the second edition came out was by necessity because it was taken from me. Yeah. And I haven't, don't think I've told many people that because, yeah. uh, but people sometimes ask, oh, why'd you put a second one out? Is it, uh, why is the cover different? And, and that's why. Yeah. yeah. It's that I learned a tough lesson with publishing and contracts you sign that sometimes you sign away your, your life's work and you don't even know it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that I find just so interesting is like writing a book. I mean, I think everybody has a book in them. Absolutely. You know, but to actually make it come to fruition, I've just never had somebody, I guess, in my circle that's like completed the process. Mm-hmm. So that's why I find it fascinating. But then also, you know, when you get into it, it's it's so hard because I'm not a person that understands contracts or mm-hmm. how all of that stuff works. And so what I kind of like about your story is that, you know, you wrote this thing for your kids mm-hmm. and then you put it out there and then you had to fight for it back. That's and exactly I, and I can't right. even imagine, like, I'm thinking if I, if this were me, I like, I can't even imagine what you were thinking that year that you were fighting for the book. I remember sitting in a Walgreens in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where I work on Edgewood road. I'll never forget that light sitting there talking to my new, her name was Darlene. And I called her and, and she's been wonderful. She's helped me put the new book together with all the new pictures. And, and I remember vividly her saying, yeah, you have two choices. You can just walk away or you can do it all over again. Because I remember saying, can I just get Amazon's copy of it, give it to you and you republish it? She goes, it doesn't work that way. Mm. You're going to have to give everything back to me page by page. And anybody who's gone through a graduate program or anything that took effort realizes you look back and go, I would not do that again. <laughs> sure. You're like, that was painful. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget sitting there. And finally, I just said, okay, let's do it. And that began the year-long process. But you know what? Now it's 10 times better than it ever was before. And it means more to me. Yeah. Because I had to work so much harder to get something I believed in out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad I did. But that was, it was devastating. It was uh, in the sense of, you know, it's not your health. It's not your family. But when you put that much work into something and someone just takes it from you, it's it's hard to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, 
what's so fun is like reading all of the reviews, yeah. great feedback. You actually did me a super solid last year. You signed an, a copy uh, that I was able to give to my sister's boyfriend. And, Fred, uh, Fred? Yeah, Fred. Yep. Yeah, I shout remember. out to Fred. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if I gave you this feedback. I was kind of saving it for the time we got on to, to, together next. But uh, she, my sister kind of pulled me aside and she was like, I don't think I'll ever be able to top this gift. Oh, that's really nice. That's really kind of you to say. So I, uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should have given it to her to give to him. But uh, yeah, he he loves the book. And, good, uh, good. And uh, so, so tell me a little bit about, because I feel like anytime you get into something like, not that this is, I mean, it's a hobby, sure. but like anytime you get into something, like if we get, you know, we're in filmmaking, so there's a huge community of filmmakers and and I know that there's a huge community of bow hunters. Tell me what that's like. And then tell me kind of like what your book has meant to that community. I think um, the community of bow hunters as a whole, if you meet someone who says, I'm a bow hunter, usually I would say that person, that person has a lot of patience, a lot of perseverance, and a lot of knowledge of nature. Uh, bow hunting by nature, animals, and the pursuit you know, of whatever game animal you're after. They really have to be up close and personal. It's not something that um, with some other sports, like, you know, whether it be gun hunting or, you know, where it, it doesn't have to be within, let's say, 20 yards. Um, so a lot of time you spend in the woods bow hunting, that's just a small fraction of it is the harvest where you drop the string and you, and you take the animal. Um, a lot of it is spent, you know, looking at nature, loving nature, observing nature. And if you're a bow hunter and you've done it for any amount of time, you have to love those things. Because the majority of your time is spent doing those things. You're not, you know, taking game every time you go. In fact, like I said, 99% of the season is spent, you know, never drawing your bow back at all. You're sitting there through all the season changes from October 1st. We'll start here in Iowa when the mosquitoes are swarming and it's green, you know, to the brutal cold of December, you know, where everything is cycled through and changed. And you have to love all of that. Otherwise, you won't last. You'll just walk away from it and say, let me find something else, which is fine. Some people do. But bow hunters by nature, if you stay in it, in my experience, are people who love nature, are patient outdoorsmen who love the process mm -hmm. more than the result. And yeah. If you don't love the journey more than the end game, again, you probably won't last very long as a bow hunter. Yeah. Um, as far as what it's meant to people, they've a lot of my friends or uh, people I've never met said, thank you for putting into words what I could never tell my family as to why I did this. Yeah. They said, I never really could articulate what it meant to me to be out there and the rush I got and how I got up at four in the morning and sat in 20 degree weather for four hours on a platform. And it's not about the quote unquote kill or harvest as much as it is the process. And um, thank you for allowing me to give something to someone and say, well, you just read this and now you'll know where I'm coming from. Yeah. So that, that's what I've heard from a lot of bow hunters that meant a lot to me. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's so great. And, and one of the things just about even our video shoot was like going out and just being in the woods. I mean, you really do. I mean, it is so gorgeous in yeah. Iowa. And so I feel like it's, I, I understand what you're saying of just being out there. You have time to think and, you know, well, maybe, could. yeah, maybe you don't, maybe you don't walk away with a kill. Absolutely not. And and kudos to you. Uh, when we did that photo shoot last year, some of the pictures you captured were, I mean, outstanding. I know Iowa Outdoors will have um, 
you know, John's pictures here as a cover photo coming up soon for those listeners. Yeah. Grab your copy of Iowa Outdoors. We've got an article coming out and John was the the lead photographer and, and the cover shots. I mean, some of those pictures you took were just, I mean, beyond what I would ever expect. So, uh, yeah, and that, the it captures the essence of the fall with the gold sunlight. And, yeah. and you're right, it, that's what we wanted to capture yeah for people and that's what it's like out there it's beautiful and it's it's a gift yeah well and one of the things that i think why the pictures turned out so well is like the projects that we get to do when we meet up with people such as yourself that it's so undeniable that you are passionate about what you do on the same level that we're passionate about what we do Mm -hmm. I just think that that's, there's some sort of magic there, you know, and I know that there was a couple things that we had to work through, but you know, we were both open books and, you know, and and that was the, the collaboration on, on this stuff is just so fun. That's a great word collaboration. And, you know, you had your, you came into it openly saying, look, I'm not a bow hunter. I've never done this before, but I'm willing to try. And, and we were able to, you know, work together uh, through schedules and, you know, different timeframes, or I might say, oh, the weather's changing. Maybe there's a front coming through. And then I realized, hey, you might not see that side of it. Or you yeah. might say, <laughs> you can't go in that direction. The sun's wrong. And I'm like, well, I like that. You know, so it yeah. was, but at the end of it, it was awesome. It was one of the best experiences I had working with anybody. And um, the quality of your work was just, was just outstanding. And it, it was really, it was just really fun to put those, you know, like two people from two different passions. Like you say, I know nothing yeah. about your field, but um you know, I was telling my, my wife with our children, like I said, you can't teach passion and yeah. we just got to find where their passions lie and then follow them in that direction. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I came from a family that didn't hunt, but my parents allowed me the freedom to pursue that passion. Yeah. And if they hadn't, if they said, no, we don't want you to do that or no, you're going to do what we want to do. I don't think I'd be where I am today. So hats off to my parents and any parent who follows, you know, their kids' passions instead of forcing them into their own. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, and it's so crazy too, because you texted me the other day, hey, these pictures are going to be in this magazine. And I'm like, what? This <laughs> <laughs> is like, like a, such a great, like, I, I'm I, so happy for you. And, and uh, thank you. You know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that more, more books get out into the world because of it. I hope so too. That picture they use as their cover photo that you took it's funny when I sent it, I was like, I hope they use this picture because it was my favorite. And I yeah. just, and sure enough, they did. It's just funny how, you know, some things you think about, you know, manifest themselves in that way. And they must've seen the same things that I did and that you sure. did when you captured it. So yeah, uh, yeah great picture. And it was so funny too, because we have the, there's so many trees around <laughs> when, cause it's the shot of you in the tree stand and there's so many trees around. And then I get the drone up. And there's, there's so many sensors beeping at me because there's all these trees around. And I'm like, even if you were trying to hunt something, we've scared everything off. I was going to say, like, like, no, that can't be anything. No one would be so foolish to bring a machine into the woods. It's fine, guys. So no, that was, uh, God, it was amazing to see, you know, that the machinery you had in that drone and how it got up there, like things you just can't capture without someone with your skills. So, uh, yeah. yeah, Awesome. Awesome day. Yeah. So what? If you had to narrow one of the more meaningful stories from your book mm-hmm. down to one, mm-hmm. what would what would that be and why? I would probably say, and it changes. You know, sometimes it changes on season. You know, as the spring comes and and, and turkey season comes in in the spring, and the changes. There's stories there that I lean towards, but one of the 
my favorite stories is probably one entitled, you know, um, Full Circle, where it incorporates my son and his first experience in the woods and how, and it's my older son who now doesn't hunt, but he, he has those younger memories of being in the timber with me. Mm-hmm. And probably more importantly, I have the memories, but there's a lot of growth in that chapter of, of the setbacks and a lot of the things I did wrong and how you just continue to persevere and push forward. And, and hopefully one day your goal, you know, comes, comes true. Yeah. But uh, I think incorporating my son into that story, the memories of him being so young, pictures of him so young. Um, and then just recently, the story coming out in Iowa Outdoors is Seasons of Gold is probably my favorite nostalgic story because it encompasses the last 30 years. And as I'm sitting there in that tree, as I described that, the, the uh, happenings of that day, I think back to 92 when I was a teenager and how so many sights and sounds were the same, but I was such a different person. Yeah. Um, so it changes, but I would say, you know, Full Circle or, or uh, Seasons of Gold are two of my favorites. Yeah. Sure. Do you have people that are, are reading the book that are not bow hunters that, because I feel like there's a lot of like corporate like parallels, yeah, you know, there, there is. And that's another thing. I think one of the biggest surprises was when the editors of the first publishing company said how much they liked it. And the greatest compliments I get from the book are from people who don't hunt, who said, okay. listen, I heard about this. Uh, I'm not a hunter. And some have said I'm against hunting, but I thought I'd give it a chance. And, you know, after I read it, I not only have a better understanding of you as a bow hunter or bow hunters in general, but I enjoyed it. And my goal with the book too, although it's in between the lines, was hopefully anybody who reads it would understand that it's a book about passion. And anything you're passionate about, you can see the comparisons and the overlays there. And it's, it's the same whether you're a skydiver, a rock climber, a photographer, and the sacrifices we make to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Yeah. Even when the outcomes aren't what they want to, we just keep going. Yeah. You keep moving the direction you want to go. And that's what people who have not hunters read it have appreciated. Yeah. And the respect for the outdoors. They said, man, I didn't know, you know, you talk about the different trees. And, and I always say, when I talk to someone who bow hunts, I always like to ask, you know, oh, you know, what tree did you sit in last night? And I know that sounds like a weird question, but a lot of times, Sometimes people are like, oh, I didn't know what tree it was. It was just a tree. But the guy who says it was a white oak or a red oak, they're naturalists at heart. They, yeah. you know, they're really into it. And that's, those are the bow hunters. I, then I really know that they're naturalists and, and yeah. they, they love the outdoors as much as bow hunting. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and this is just kind of a side note. You know, if you're, uh, and you can have this idea for free. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I'm be, <laughs> Wait, where's my, where's my pen? Give me a okay, pen. Okay. Give me a pen over there. <laughs> So the people that are against hunting, uh-huh. you could make a, a separate version mm-hmm. where you're hunting tofu in the wild. <laughs> so it's like a tofu well, version. Well, as I get older, I get much slower. Okay. So I don't see tofu moving very fast. <laughs> so I don't see any downside yeah. to this pursuit. Yeah, and so then, And then I, down the road, you can make a gluten-free version. And... <laughs> I, I like it. It's good retirement. It's a good, you know, secondary career for me. <laughs> I saw it, so I, no, I need to get that pen and write that down. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you can have that for free. Appreciate it. Um, no, I, I just I love I love passionate communities and how people come together, and I, I just think that's just such such great feedback. And and your book has even won awards, right? Say that one more time. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I was just saying, like your book. Mm-hmm. I mean, tell me about some of the awards that you've oh, won awards. because yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I I'm sh- again I've. 
again, this just goes back to you. You wrote a book for your boys. So mm-hmm. everything past that, beyond that is a bonus. Right. And now, now it's winning awards. Yeah. It's, that's, that's been very, um, I've been very proud of those, some of those awards. And um, most recently we had a, a award called the Wishing Shelf Book Awards out of Great Britain, which are very respected awards. Um, and it was very, again, again, a frightful experience. You put this book into this genre pool, everything from romance to psychology to self-help and or adult nonfiction. And mm-hmm. you think this thing is going to get destroyed. Like, <laughs> and, and this wishing shelf we didn't win but we made the finals as a finalist a silver medal winner and uh um if you look at the books it was up against it's very it's it's very rewarding to see like psychology and then a self-help book and uh you know and to see people who read it accepted it for what it was as a book that had stories they appreciated and enjoyed Mm -hmm. and they thought it was you know well written and it and it made it into the same class as some of those other ones versus oh this is a hunting book you know what's this even doing here so that meant a lot to me that people were not only open to reading it but you know if they felt it was you know worth reading they were going to tell other people about it and that's what the the judges did yeah and so and that's been the case for a few awards that uh I really thought, I can't believe I'm going to submit this. But as I think when you create anything, a piece of art, music, uh, a show, I think it's really frightening to put yourself into the world. Yeah. And I would tell anybody listening that I've never had more growth, though, or knowledge about myself than doing those things, whether it's good or bad. And I've had some judges, you know, made the book better. Um, the first edition, as I said earlier in the show, they made comments about it like you should have done this or you missed this. And then when I redid it, um, if you can take that criticism with a grain of salt and use it instead of being upset about it, it can make you better. And I, yeah. I tell my kids that too, you know, coach gets on you or we tell you something, we just want you to be better. And so those awards have not only allowed me to make the book better, but also learn as a, as a writer what I can do better. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's been a great experience to see other people enjoy it uh, that are non-hunters. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that and that's such a great approach. I feel like just taking you know constructive feedback yes yes and defining whether or not oh that is a good valid point and not being offended and it also depends on how people give you that feedback (laughs) right right? Right. there's feedback on social media that's not super great but can be tough yeah and so um so are you are you active on social media i try to be but always my son always makes a my son always makes fun of me. He's like, you know, oh, you know, you're not pushing. So, and I'm like I said, I'm a healthcare provider as my main job as my as, and I try on Facebook and Instagram, but yeah, um, not as much as I should be. But I continue to try to yeah. be interactive and uh, um, definitely, as we said earlier, a weak spot. You know, where I enjoy writing and hunting, but the technology side of things are where I lack. So sure, you know, um, but yeah, we do have a Facebook page, Instagram, and, and things like that. Nice, so, yeah, that's great. Well, what? I'm curious about your writing process. Do you have a place to go? You know, it's a good question. I do not. And I always, I never thought, I didn't know if that was weird or not until I read a book by Stephen King, which I recommend anybody who, even if they don't want to write, it's called On Writing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he talks about that. Like writers sometimes say, oh, you got to have this, this scene overlooking an ocean, you know. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that's not true. He says... The writing process essentially is just writing and his writing for him, even though he's extremely, you know, done well and he can write wherever he wanted to. It's just this little room in the middle of nowhere. 
So mm. for me, it's a laptop in my hand, walking around raising kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's my memory of writing the book was I yeah. had two little kids and they were making sure they don't swallow this marble <laughs> and, and don't fall down the stairs. And I'm like, okay, the black bear did. I'm like, you know, Hey, you know, Colton come over here. And yeah, I remember once it was like three in the morning and I had this thought in my mind about this story about a bear, this black bear hunt I was writing about. And I was thinking like, how can I articulate this part of it? You know, it just hit me at like two or three in the morning and you know, we weren't getting much sleep and the kids were. And so I went into our, our bathroom uh, we had this like side bathroom and my wife was sleeping in the room. I just shut the door and I sat next to the cabinet with this. And I remember typing the story out at three in the morning because the thought was in my head. Yeah. And if someone thought about the book, like, oh, he's sitting over this cornfield or this sunset. <laughs> and if they really saw the truth of how some of the stories were written, they'd be like, that's not very glamorous. That's, but yeah. that's how I think, I think a lot of writers would admit to that. Like, but I think you write when you're inspired to write. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I found when I write, a thought will come into my head. I'll pull my cell phone out. I'll type in a phrase like, or a title of a story. In fact, Crimson Arrows, the title of the book, wasn't Crimson Arrows for about three years. Only in the last month that it become that it was supposed to be Broken Solitude. Okay. And all of a sudden in the last month, I was sitting in this rocking chair. I'm like, Broken Solitude, like has nothing to do with bow hunting. Like it was a, it, it was a, a title of a chapter in the book and I thought it was cool and you know kind of uh but as I started thinking about it when you do google searches or people are gonna look at that cover and be like what's it have to do with bow hunting mm. and so I think those thoughts pop in your head as a writer and you write them down and then you move on and you might not come back to them later but that's the process it's just write rewrite yeah write rewrite until it's smooth as glass or as smooth as you can make it mm -hmm. yeah no that that's great and then I think I saw this post on social media, which I'm excited about. You did the audio version. I did the, well, I, I, I did the preface. Okay. So we, um, we have, we just actually, as of yesterday, um, a new, it's a really short kind of novella book. It's called Hunter's Moon. It's a trilogy, a whitetail bow hunting trilogy. It's called, it's about an hour long. And, um, uh, the same, uh, professional narrator who did Crimson Arrows, uh, which is about a 10 hour book on audible did this and he, you know, narrates these three stories, but they said, Hey, why don't you do the preface and write the preface? Yeah. And so in that case, if you, if you listen to that on audible, I am sitting at my kitchen table watching this cornfield set in July. I, the, the sun was setting in July and I'm watching these scenes unfold with the deer coming out of the timber. And, and I'm thinking, gosh, this was just like it was when I was 15 and it was 30 years ago. And I'm about to write this preface for this, if someone had told me I was 15, like 30 years from now, you're going to be writing the preface to three really cool tales about big deer. I'd be like, you're crazy. You know, yeah. I don't even know how to climb into a tree stand. So I did it. And um, I still don't like the way I sound on it, you know, <laughs> compared to this voice actor. Sure. But it's also rewarding to have me be a part of it. Yeah. And, and read the preface before he gets into the, the three trilogy stories. Um, so I, I enjoyed that and maybe one day I'll venture a little farther in and do a chapter, but yeah, dude, I think you should, I, I, I might try, but, um, Richard fish is the narrator's voice. And I think, he, I mean, there's a sample on audible, of course. Um, but his voice is just amazing. And I don't think people understand how hard it is to read a book, like the sound effects and you know, how you, you know, build up a moment and then just by the nature of your tone. Right. And that was to me what he does so masterfully that I would struggle at. 
Sure. But uh, yes, I am the preface. Also, you can fast forward through the preface. If, if you're listening <laughs> no, to my voice right now, you're no. like, this guy's terrible. No. Like, Listen to it in slow motion. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Savor every second. <laughs> so yeah, um, I just did the preface on Hunter's Moon, which came out yesterday. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So you got any more books in the pipeline? You got um, any more books in you? I just wrote this. This one just came out. And so I always tell... I, maybe I tell myself, but I told my wife, it's hard. It's, I have so much respect for beat writers and people who can write on a whim and say, you know, write this story about this or write this story about that. I really have to be inspired to write um, for me to write the way I want to write. So yeah. the stories I wrote in these books are stories that meant a lot to me that had, and I had to have lessons incorporated into them. Um, there's hundreds of other tales that were, you know, there wasn't much to them in the sense of like a story, uh, and so when stories arise, I'm really inspired to write. I'm writing one now called Hooks and Houdini uh, about a turkey uh, hunt in the spring. And then uh, I'm, I'm dabbling with one called Silver Kings about my father. Okay. And that's, my, that's been a tough one for me to write um, because there's so much I want to say about my dad, but um, I'm kind of working in that direction. So those are two projects. Yeah. Um, but I was careful what I commit to because – then you really got to crank them yeah, out. So. It kind of sounds like Silver Kings is going to be a tearjerker. It, it, yeah, that's probably why it's hard to write. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think as our parents get older, there's things we want to say to them that we can't always say, especially my dad and I sometimes have trouble talking, you know, as maybe as emotionally or honestly as we could. Sure. I think fathers and sons have that problem sometimes. So this is my opportunity to, to say thank you to him in so many ways. So, yeah, uh, we'll see how that turns out. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so funny because I, t- the age, age and perspective is just something that I'm appreciating more, um, especially now that I have a kid. Yeah. So like we were hanging out with my mom the other night and I was just like, I'm so appreciative of all the things you taught me and That's all those nice. hard times. Nice, But it's like in my twenties, I could care less or, I mean, it's not that I, I know. you know, it's not that I didn't care. It's just you have, maybe you don't see the value in sharing that feedback or maybe you're still like uh, coming out of your rebellious teenage years. But um, yeah, I I, I totally, I, yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a fun chapter. So yeah, I hope to write it and have it done. And, uh, but you're so right. The things we appreciate about our parents. I, I think, you know, my 10 and seven year old, I want him to be 10 and seven. I want him to leave their dirty clothes in the living rooms, you know, most of the time and have me, I don't want them to be too uh, grown up just yet. Sure. And I think maybe your mom or my dad wouldn't have appreciated us telling them that at 20 and maybe more so now that we're older with our own kids to see that they know we see what they saw. Yeah. And it's more heartfelt and true. Yeah. Versus like, Hey dad, you know, like I really appreciate all you did for me and I'm 15. He's like, really? Like (laughs) (laughs) you just want the car keys. Yeah. (laughs) So I I think you're right. And I, I'm sure uh, she appreciated it and, and hopefully my dad will appreciate (laughs) the story. So, so have you noticed, this is kind of a sidebar, but have you noticed that like when you had kids, did your, did your parents and your wife's parents, like did the grandparents, did they, does, did you just have the, did you have a moment where you're like, did you forget everything about parenting? When you watch these kids? I think I realized I know nothing when I had, I mean, like, I don't, I always tell, I tell people all the time, like, there's no playbook, right? Like, yeah. you just, and I'm sure people told me all this before I had children. And my wife is amazing. Like, 
yeah, she's an amazing mother and has done so much for the kids. And I'd be <laughs> joke like I wouldn't have my kids anymore if I was alone with them because mm-hmm. I made so many mistakes. And but uh, somebody told me once I was a patient and he was a young young man. He's probably twenty five, about to have his first child. And he said, and he was a hunter, and he was so worried. He's like, you know, he's so used to doing his own thing and hunting when he wanted to hunt. And he says, is this, is this going to change me? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it should. Yeah. Because if it doesn't, you're probably doing something wrong. You know, if you're doing everything you did before with no consequences or repercussions, or then there's something that's going to break or not work. So right. it should change you in a yeah. good way. But yeah. It's a steep learning curve, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. nothing I've done has been harder, but at the same time, nothing I've done has been more rewarding too. Sure. Um, but uh, definitely ups and downs and yeah. Um, as you yeah. know, as you know. Yeah. Well, and I guess what I was trying to get at is like, so when our daughter goes to stay with her grandparents, she gets spoiled. Oh, it's oh. crazy. Oh, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's wild. Last night, my son had soccer. My grand, my, my mom picks him up. I said, what do you have for supper? She's like, French fries. I'm like, and what else? She's like, just French fries. I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, well, after... <laughs> After soccer, he wanted to go to McDonald's and, and he just wanted French fries. I'm like, mm-hmm. and that's what he had. And she's like, yeah. And then I brought him some brownies. So he had French fries and brownies last <laughs> night. And so after I, you know, I, yeah. I just looked at my mom like, okay. Like, and you're yeah. right. It's like, they just, they just want to be the coolest grandma and oh, grandpa. Yeah, for sure. And you're, I see what you're saying now, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my wife this morning was like, that can't happen again. Cause my yeah. mom's picking, mom, you're picking him up tonight. So you won't hear this till. You know, yeah. so we're going to talk to my mom. Like, mom, tonight we got to get him. Yeah. Like a sandwich too. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny because, um, so we had, we had this thing happen where, uh, uh, we were getting ready. So when we go to Colorado, we try to leave at like three 30 in the morning cause mm-hmm. we drive. So we drop our kid off at my mom's house, uh, that night. So we can pack mm-hmm. and then we're going to pick her up. And, <laughs> and so my mom wants to to make a gingerbread houses. And so we're like, well, we don't want her to stay up too late because we got an early morning. So don't, not too much sugar. And she goes, no, it'll be fine because (laughs) then it'll keep her up and then she'll sleep more in the car the next day. And I'm thinking, well, you've done this before. So clearly you're a professional. professional. She doesn't sleep. She goes, maybe she falls asleep around like 132. So she sleeps for like an hour and a half. Screws up the whole schedule. Screws up the whole schedule. And then she doesn't sleep sleep at all in the car. And so it's like the most zombified version of my kid <laughs> I've, I've been ever there. seen. <laughs> my ears are still ringing from numerous trips to Wisconsin with my son that just this like ringing of this constantly screaming, you know, and you can't soothe them. You stop. You, right. And uh, yeah, but you're right. You trust, right? You're like, oh yeah, you know what you're doing. And so yeah. But I've realized they've they've kind of given up on the the right things to do and just want to be the cool grandma and grandpa. Right. But plus, it's been like thirty plus years yeah. since they've dealt with that age group, so they <laughs> right. have. Yeah. They've, they've but forgotten. I will say that you know when when things are they they're my mom's extremely wise and she gives such sage advice. You know when things are tough and and she's like you know and you know you have a bet you have to you know maybe be a little more firm with your kids. And I have two boys and then you know we we're like really best friends and we get along. But sometimes I gotta be dad and. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, you know, they're going to hate me now because I really had to lay the hammer down and say like, you can't do that. And, you know, you got to, and mom's like, you know, they're going to be better for it, you know? Right. And, and so she's, I remember when you did this. And so, yeah, they're, they're really good at, you know, making you feel better as a parent when you do screw up. Yeah, for sure. But, 
So yeah, one well, it's always funny too because right now our daughter tries to um, sneak out of her room at night to see like <laughs> what's going on. And nice. she's so loud, but she thinks she's being super sneaky. Like ninja sneaky. And the other night I had this flashback <laughs> to like when I used to do that. And I just thought like, how on earth can they hear me? Like I'm being so quiet, but I clearly wasn't and neither is she. Yeah, they busted me a few times. I mean, we're talking like red faith. Even I was, I think I was 28. My mom told me a story. And for years I thought I was the smoothest operator. And she's like, oh, you remember that time? And I'm like. How did you know that? And how long have you known that? She's, oh, I've always known that. <laughs> and I just, uh, I still get like a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, what else does she know? <laughs> you know they will never know she knows. So, yeah. Uh, but that's the beauty of parents and parenting is we always have to have a, you know, a little few tricks up our sleeve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. Cool. Well, we have a lot of listeners that are, you know, young business people, entrepreneurs, what what advice would you leave people with today? I would say embrace your mistakes and don't be too hard on yourself and and you can and learn from every mistake. I don't think we become the people we become without some hardship without the mistakes. I don't yeah. think it's possible. And if you don't make them now, you'll make them one day. So I know I've been look back on and not just writing but you know working in healthcare and 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 I'm an optometrist eye care and you look back you're like oh I should have done this different I can't believe I made this mistake and I think that's how we become who we become is is making the mistakes embracing them and growing from them yeah instead of beating yourself up and 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 being so hard on yourself as to say I can't believe I did that I yeah I think they're important to uh it's just life yeah so awesome yep well, thank you again for joining us of today. Course. We're we're rooting for your all your success, <laughs> thank you. and uh, thank you. And we're looking forward to more stories to okay. come. Okay, I appreciate your time and the opportunity. Yeah, thank thanks. You. All right, you're welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in to Story Now. We're so happy that you joined us today, and I just wanted to say a special thank you to Justin Goodchild who wrote and performed the opening song that you're hearing now. Huge fan of Justin. Go check out his work as soon as humanly possible. Hey, thanks again for tuning in. We have new episodes every Monday, so please, please check that out as we continue to interview the movers and shakers that we're meeting in the Eastern Iowa area. And hey, before you go, if you could just take a second and head over to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and go ahead and just give us a follow on those platforms, we'd greatly appreciate it.